0: Welcome to another episode of the Awareness Advantage Podcast, where leaders who are good at getting stuff done become great leaders to influence and inspire people. I'm your U.S. co-host and best-selling author, Kevin McCarthy, joined by my good friend, Canadian business partner, and best-selling author, Licky Labjew. If you have not yet done so, click subscribe so you never miss an episode. And now, the Awareness Advantage Podcast. Conflict in the workplace, common issue we all deal with. Yeah. With all kinds of different styles of communication based on temperament and mood, emotions, all things, all kinds of things going to that. I can certainly throw out some tips and ideas, but uh, let me open it up to anybody else. What has worked for you when you are in a conflict and somebody isn't really opening up and they're maybe even deflecting the conflict back on you?
1: Totally. Deflection is like the number one thing.
0: I wonder if they're a motivator. That's like a normal yeah. motivator.
2: Gaslighting. <laughs> That's exactly Shannon. I was like gaslighting, boundary aversion, boundary mm. avoidance. I, 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 totally down that pathway is where I thought to.
1: And I am to that point. I can name all those things and recognize them. But, you know, it's like I'm looking for that other way to reach that person. And of course, you know, when you're in, in any relationship, it has to come from both ways. And I'm just trying to also tell him, it's like, hey, this is a relationship; we both have to work on this. And and literally falls on deaf ears. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's painful.
0: There's a cliche that uh, come, comes to mind, and I don't usually like cliches much, but the um, you've all heard it, right? People, people don't care what you know until they know that you care, and but so. When,
1: and there, that person's definition of care may be different than my definition. Mm-hmm. I thought I showed people that I cared when I'm in conversations, and you know, and I, I voiced you know frustration, that's, and then people say, "That's why I'm not in management anymore," right? Because there's always that one element that that irks you. For me, you know, I I love working with people. I love to be you know a manager. Because ninety nine percent of the time it's just a challenge, and and it's it's fun to actually figure out how people work and how I can deal with them and empower them. And then there's that one person I just cannot get to. <laughs> That's then my frustrations. Like, how can I not get to that person?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes they're just not the right person for the position, and sometimes you can't fix
3: other people's problems and other people's personalities.
2: I'm going to use Mark's statement here. I agree completely, Shannon, but there's also that element of space and grace, right? They already have their mind made up about you or you've already got your mind made about something else and just allowing the space to happen, giving yourself and that person grace and just, you know, as Shannon said, right, like you may not be the right person for the conversation. They may not be in a position to hear the conversation or their defense mechanism is in overload because they maybe don't feel like they're being heard and it may not even be in the workplace. It's just the thing they're bringing in because they're fighting who knows what else in the outside world. And you're just the, the bear of the burden that they decide you're the person to put it on and not listening and, and not being respectful. I mean, that's a whole other scenario and a whole other host of problems. But Maybe that's part of the the getting to the deeper part, right? why Why did they not hear what you're saying, and you said you care, and I believe it, but maybe they just aren't seeing the whole story or or not giving you the whole story so that you can effectively you know come to solutions or or anything else that puts you on the same page again, right?
0: yeah, key word there, Randall, defense. Does this person keep going on the defense every time you try to bring something up? Yeah, yeah. So how do you approach somebody that goes into the defensive posture? What can you do to reduce that possibility of them getting defensive? You can't change them, but what can you do to reduce the possibility that they'll go into a defensive
2: posture?
3: This is an opportunity for trying to use more active listening techniques. I think. For me, my instinct is to find common ground, to try to try to draw them out a little, just asking them questions and then responding, you know, okay, so, so for you, this is blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, at least then it feels like you're getting things where they're nodding and going, yes, like you understand what I'm saying. Like I would probably go there as a a first starting point, but that's just my instinct. I don't, I don't know if that's the right thing to do that's or not. Great.
0: That's great. It's good. I it that is,
3: idea. But...
0: Mm-hmm. I also
3: idea guided. Oh, sorry. The whole idea of guided questioning is one way of going about it
2: from the back door. And, and to echo Barry, I totally agree. And I don't think the end goal is to ever fix, right? I mean, we're, we're fixing something, but if we go into it as we're fixing, then we're trying to change and adjust somebody else's perception where if we're going in to learn, to understand, we're not coerced, right? This, this is nothing past that. The seen, the felt, the heard, the understood, the acknowledgement will all lead itself back to either it's going to feel like a fix. It's going to look like a fix, but it's not going to smell like a fix. Right they don't see and they don't feel necessarily that you're going into you're trying to own and manipulate it you're you're trying to figure more out about them, active listen, be a part, learn what's going on in their life and this comes back to like i management training years ago, know more about your staff than your staff knows about you, right knowing. Their family life or their kids is, is enough of that common ground to at least pull some things from. I understand, you know, today's could be a difficult day or, you know, what's going on, what's happening, how are the kids, right? Like it, it, it allows some of that natural to come through where the defense or ambush, that's the word, my word of the summer, by the way, I heard it the other day. Somebody said they felt ambushed and I said, let's talk more about this. I think just going that route, it's not going to appear a fix, although it it will at least enhance the, the potential of it.
0: That's good, Randall. Uh, on, the, on the subject of fixing, it's really important to remember this, that we only manage processes and systems. So therefore, we can fix processes and systems when they're broken. But we can't fix and we can't manage people. We have to lead people. Nobody wants to be managed. You, you hate it, don't you, when your boss might tries to micromanage you and Tell you how to do something when there's lots of ways to do it, and they want you to do it a specific way that just doesn't make sense to you. That's frustrating when you know you can get the job done just as well, maybe even better if you, they'll give you the freedom. But in leading people, we need to inspire them. So, how do you inspire them? I love, you know, very you know, first thing you do is you've got to connect, you've got to be able to find, you know, connect that humanity. They've got to have that respect, at least at a very basic level that says, uh, you respect my space, you respect my personhood, you respect the, you know my right to have my opinion, my right to have my next
3: breath,
0: <laughs> right? Just basic humanity is where, where we can start. But back to the original question. So you've got somebody who continues to get into this defensive posture. So you can start to try to connect. What else can we do? How, how can you approach somebody who... uh you already know in advance that they're sensitive in the sense that they go, they're going to go into a defensive posture if you're not careful. How can you maybe take some different approaches to that person that might, maybe won't, but might give them a little bit more space or, you know, let them feel a little bit more safe where they don't feel like they
2: have to go into a defense. I have two that come to me right for that, Kevin, that, that I try to apply in those situations. Is there somebody you would like to have with us when we get together to talk about this? You pick your person, right? Colleague or whatever. Like if, if you want to invite another person into the conversation, sure. If that's going to help you feel more comfortable or that, you know, in case something is said that you, you misunderstood, there's at least another person there. I'll always open the door to, do you want somebody else in this with you? It's not for me. It's for you. The, the next level, and I mean, through the last two and a half years, I have always been in the office, right? I, I think I worked from home for a total of three weeks, right? In the last two and a half, I always offer is there somewhere else you'd like to have this conversation? We can go off site, we can grab a coffee, we can walk, right? We can head outside because I like to allow the opportunity for additional distractions. And it's not for for myself or the individual. It's the the opportunity to I'm feeling really frustrated and feeling super overwhelmed and being in your office is really pissing me off because I'm in a space where I'm not in a position of of power, right? I, I'm in your house and I'd like to be in my house when I have this conversation. So I always offer, you know, we gonna go for a walk, we can grab a coffee, we can. You know, go anywhere else you want. If you want to meet at a little shop that's close to your house, because today is that day. Let's meet there then. Let's, you know, I'll I'll be there for 930 if that's the time that works for you. Oh, that doesn't work. What's going to work for you? Right. Let me adjust my schedule to your benefit so that it comes back to that scene heard and acknowledged. Right, I'm going to meet you at your space on your ground in your time frame with whoever you might want in the space with you. I personally love having a, a space where there's a bit of a distraction because even when I'm like what the hell why why are you not getting this like, wait a minute I'm going to do a little people watching let me absorb let me process then I have a chance to spit out okay right because our human nature thinking comes after reaction right we react first and then we have remorse regret and all those other things that kick in because we've responded in a bad example right when you provide an environment for myself as a neurodivergent that has distractions I get the opportunity to think before I lose it. So that's my two cents.
0: (laughs) Nice. Good idea. So third party and uh, neutral location. Good tips.
2: Hey, thanks for uh, paraphrasing me there.
0: Two key points to remember. I think those are really good insights there. And that's always the third party is always the second step in any conflict resolution. The first step is try to resolve the conflict yourself, and if you can't get it resolved, then ask the other party, who do you respect that I respect, you know, a third neutral third party that we both respect that can come in and then just be here, right? Facilitate, you know, whatever is necessary. If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific Time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now back to the program.
2: I always ask too, is this person coming to facilitate conversation? Is this person just here as an observer, right? So that if I'm opening the meeting and and, and having this conversation with a staff member, colleague, whatever it is, I like to just observe that moment right off the bat. You're here in a position of because it was requested your attendance, right? So that that person has a very clear, here's the box that, that, that this individual has asked you to be in. I ask you to respect the box. If there's something that doesn't fit in the box that you need to say, hey, something's not right here. There's your opportunity. But otherwise, you're here for this thing.
3: Randall, do you save that for like HR meetings? Because the minute somebody would say to me, do you want to bring someone to this meeting? But that's neutral, I'd be like, what's going on? Less than one getting
2: fired. I have been on both sides of that coin. I have been in the position where somebody needs to be in this meeting with us. Here is who's coming. It was in a union example shop steward. And right away, I was like, okay, let's start writing the list of things that I'm getting called in for and what my walking papers look like. But I've also been in the position of, of being able to offer that. And it's not always in HR style, right? I, I can use it with, with individuals. I, pardon me, have, have used it even just in collegial type relationships where there is an element of conflict or or boundary crossing or a feel of disrespect either way. And I try to acknowledge right away, I feel there's a problem. I think the best way to have this conversation is to have somebody here because it's also going to keep my checks and balances in place, right? I offer it to the individual and I said, it's not just in HR. It's a great place to use it, but I offer it to the individual so that they have that safe person or that person that they want in the room. It's not necessarily for me. However, I can draw on the checks and balances. If I, if I speak out of turn, if I'm disrespectful, or if, if, if what I want to say needs to be rephrased into what I need to say, right? So I don't lose my cool right away. And I'm like, oh, this is really what I want to say. This is how I need to say it. It, it, it just helps keep me in the same box too. Thanks. But on that note, Barry,
0: uh, your comment Anything we talk about with regard to workplace conflict, make sure you are in step with your HR rules. So check with HR on your you know, on your specific campus as to what uh, what their requirements are. The first step is try to work it out. Second step is look for a third party if possible. And, you know, it doesn't have to be an HR situation. Just see if you can find a, a colleague. If that doesn't work, then yeah, you might have to escalate it. It, it might be enough of a serious, enough of a, Conflict where you need to get superiors involved and HR involved. And listen, this is a productivity problem here. We're, you know, we're losing productivity because of this conflict or what have you. Lots of things that can be variables there. Do check with HR when it comes to that kind of a level. How else can you approach somebody knowing that their tendency is to be defensive? How can you approach them in hopes that you're making them feel less defensive? What can you say? What can you do?
1: I like what Byron said that, you know, do the active listening and the and that thing, but if somebody puts up such a high wall of defense, you cannot even get to that. And I'd love to have a conversation like, hey, how are the kids, how are the dogs, you know, have you been on a trip? You know, things like that. But if the wall is so high, how do I break that down or how do I jump over that, you know?
2: And now you're fixing somebody, right? You want no, to break their wall.
1: Yeah, it's their wall. But because we're in the workplace, we're trying to work together. So that's the part I want to fix is somehow we need to be able to work together. I'm not trying to fix that person. <laughs> I'm but trying to try- lower the if wall. If,
2: right. You <laughs> want them, though, to to lower the wall or step out from behind the boulder or expose themselves a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. If you go Pushing your way through their wall, trying to find all these things, then, as I said, my word of the summer is ambush. Right, the defense kicks in. Yeah, you're getting too close. You know too much. You're trying too many things. Ah, you are crossing a boundary right? of some sort, right? They mm-hmm. they've erected that wall and have built a beautiful masterpiece in their mind about absolutely everything on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. But what is there? I mean. Jump here again. What is their blind spot? Right? Are they if if you could categorize them, are they the same type of personality that you are? Right? Do they feel or see or reflect something that that they don't like about themselves, or that they recognize that you're similar, and that and comes back to bringing another person in, having that conversation with someone who is not at all that personality type or that that work type. Right? Could be super helpful because they're going to see something that you just don't see. Or that that person just doesn't see. I mean, that person can bring in a safe person who's just like, oh, man, what you're doing here, you're, you're, you're wrong. Like, you need to stop and look at this, right? And, and actually be more so to your benefit. But um, if, they, if if you're clashing, is it because you're both the same type? Good thought, Randall. Barrow, what were you what were you going to say about that?
1: We already are at that escalation point and uh, there's a neutral party and HR involved and whatnot. So we're hoping that that neutral party can listen and have the conversation and maybe help him try to understand what we're trying to accomplish, which in my mind is is minimal, but in his mind is, I don't monumental. know. Monumental. Yes. And it's funny you say that. Are are we the same personality? I I did think about that. And in this case, no, we're we're very different. I've had clashes with people where I realized, oh, we actually function the same way, but we're just on different frequencies. And now we just need to like figure out how we can be on a a similar frequency to make things happen. But this person, no, this very different personality. It might be interesting to find out what he's afraid of.
3: Well, defensive behavior comes from fear. I think so. But that, uh, that's,
0: a vul- that's a vulnerability uh, issue there. And that's, uh, that's, for, that's way on, way on down change. the road, I think, Shannon, because you yeah. have to have you have to have a trust relationship for you know somebody to open up their fears to you, right?
3: Yeah.
0: Which is, you know, vulnerability is healthy in the workplace, but only to a degree and in certain times and certain places you have to you have to get to that place where there's a trust environment. And this person is not there, sounds like. Uh, question for you, Vera, is um, are you wanting this person to change their behaviors or are you wanting to figure out how to adapt to that person's behaviors?
1: I would like this person to change his behavior in the workplace.
0: And that's a very broad sweeping statement. What is, what, can you give some examples of this behavior? Without naming names.
1: I think some of the things were already dead. It was gaslighting and patronizing, condescending, undermining, you know, all that. Oh, it just all goes in that category. So I am not going to adapt to that behavior. That is, no. I mean, we've talked about boundaries and standards and norms and all that values. like that is so outside of my realm. No, I'm not adapting to that. But if this person is you know if that is his life and his way of going through life what he does outside the workplace that's his deal but if, if and when he's in the workplace that's the box that i draw
0: excellent excellent love that you brought up boundaries because that was actually the topic i was going to bring to the table today that's exactly uh, exactly right a great stance because we all have to have boundaries if we don't then we're all over the map and we're not going to have the, uh, the healthy, emotional, physical, mental health that we need to be uh, energized about the things that we do. Right. So it's good that you've identified one of those boundaries, man. It sounds like your specific situation, as you just indicated, is already at the HR level. So I'm not sure that there's much more that we can offer to you at this point point uh, without, know without stepping on the toes of your HR people because that sounds like you know this is very poor behavior in the workplace that needs to be addressed um shouldn't be tolerated by any any workplace and uh, hopefully your HR people can sort through that get that worked out but good for you for having the boundaries which begs the question what are your boundaries have you set boundaries do you have a plan do you have a do you have an action plan that says these these are my boundaries. Or you just feel it when it happens.
3: I think I just feel it when it happens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is that feeling like? How do you feel, how do you know when it's a subtle crossing of the boundaries? Obviously, if somebody gets in your face. That's very obvious, very covert or overt uh, boundary crossing. But wh- what about when it's just subtle? How do you feel and do you react?
3: I think that's the hard part. Is because most of the time when it's a subtle crossing. And then the next time it's a little bit further over the crossing. And then the next time it's a little bit further. So that's a hard one to, to pinpoint as mm-hmm. far as that. Because, you know, I, I think people in general, if they're crossing a boundary like that, they in general are going to be a person that is going to keep pushing it until you at that escalation point of, I can't take anymore.
0: Mm. So let's, let's carry on that thought process. Um, and for everybody else too, think of a time, maybe recently, I don't know, but think of a time when you felt that subtle crossing of a boundary, like it wasn't necessarily worth a fight or worth a conflict or confrontation at the moment, but you felt the boundary crossing. And what was, what were those emotions that were conjured up at that point? What was your visceral reaction? regardless of what your actual outward reaction was, what was that visceral reaction? Rejection.
3: For me, it, rejection, yeah. But I think for me, it puts me on the defensive. Mm. So I start, you know, putting that wall up of, wait, is this really happening? (laughs) Type attitude, you know?
2: Mm -hmm.
3: I'm counting to 20 and sitting in the discomfort.
2: Right. I was enjoying the moment of not solitude, but of reflection. What Mm -hmm. were those moments? Where did they live? And I think, you know, I I had mentioned rejection earlier, but there's also the, you know, and and Shelly said, right, is this really happening? Is this really what's going on? But then for me, that leads further into, am I capable? Am I? Can I? Can I do this? Right. It becomes a very inward conversation and then it's digging out of the hole of, well, hell yeah, I can do this. I've done this already. I've proven this. I've, I can do this, but it's really easy to slip in the hole of, no, you're right. Maybe I can't. And you're kind of touching
0: on where I was heading with this line of questioning, right? Which is when we allow these subtle intrusions into our boundaries, and we do nothing about it. What's the long term ramification of that? It's awful. <laughs> yeah, it appears like an explosion.
3: I think also you start putting walls up, so you start detaching from the connection. Trust is broken.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember, uh, Mark said he had to leave earlier and then he popped off, but he, I remember his example of the the house with the picket fence and the porch, All right? Some, somebody walked by your sidewalk and like, they opened your gate and you didn't give them permission to open the gate. No, they just closed it. They didn't enter the yard, but they opened the gate and that's, that was unsettling. And then every time they walked by, they do it again and again. And eventually they put their foot in your yard and it's like, oh, oh. If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now back to the program.
2: Almost get to a point of acceptance, right? They've opened the gate so many times that, okay, that's just what this is going to be. You just open the gate. I'm just going to, you know, let it go. I've established it's not being heard. Screw it. Screw it. Sure. Open the gate. Mm-hmm. it's it's fun for you it's frustrating for me but if that's just what we need to do to get on with our day or our life or whatever yep. it is not worth the, the fight right exactly a fight yep and then the foot comes in as kevin said right and then you're right back to like oh it's because i opened that damn gate and i let them open the gate and but the gate was okay right mm-hmm. now we're going down that gaslighting and we're going into whole other areas because you let it be okay only because it wasn't worth the fight or, or the situation itself presented was like, this is not worth my energy. You know, you, you got to protect yourself at some point too, right? Some things are just not worth putting that amount of effort in. The unfortunate reality is, is the long term is that person has figured out that one spot. And then they keep digging and digging and digging. And you keep letting more and more of it go because you, you somehow you, internally, I let that happen. This is a lot like that, so that's okay when this is nothing like that, but you've let it get to that. And and that's poor leadership, poor management. That's also, you know, that's on you too, right? That person knows where that sweet spot is to get into your world. And for whatever reason, they want to they they be in that portion and they want more of it. Well, they may be completely unaware that they're oh. offending you or that they're,
0: you know, that they're crossing over that boundary if you're not speaking up and letting them know, right?
1: I was just going to ask, my question is, what drives them to do that? You Sometimes I can definitely see they're unaware. Do you think that in some of the instances, like, it's on purpose? Is it hurtful? Like, we're just going to, like, keep pushing that boundary, you know, like teenagers do, right? But, But that's what intrigues me then. Why are you doing this? What is it that you are doing in kind of a, what I would call in a convoluted way that you cannot ask me or tell me directly. Why are you dancing around and pushing all these buttons? Why do you just say directly what you need or want?
0: Yeah, that's a a, a really tricky answer because it's it's not a a one size fits all, right? Personally, I think a lot of times people are just unaware. Most people think they're self-aware. Remember the statistics, but yeah, only 10 to 15% of us really are. So oftentimes we don't realize how we're coming across or that what we're you know saying or doing is inappropriate until somebody offers us the opportunity to learn that's not a not a good behavior. On the other hand, there are people like that are malicious by intent and they just their their world revolves around themselves and they like seeing other people uncomfortable that's a That's a mental health problem in my opinion. But uh, I think uh, I like to take at least the basic assumption that most of us are good people with good intentions. We're just unaware how we're coming across. We've built facades. All of us are guilty of creating a facade. You know, the the uh, the more the more we let people cross the boundaries. You know, the sometimes the bigger the facade because we have to cover up all the uh, other stuff that we're dealing with insecurities, hurts, pains. You know, all these. Issues that we, uh, that we all succumb to at times in our lives. But that's the question. What's the long-term ramification of allowing somebody to continually cross those boundaries? Is it, you say, is it worth the fight? It, maybe it's not in the moment. But maybe what we need to do is take a step back and think long-term and say, letting this happen once might be okay. Letting it happen twice, I don't want this to turn into a a long-term issue. So maybe it's time to speak up. And then there's some very tactful ways to do that, right? You don't have to put your hand up and get in somebody's face, but you can certainly express how you feel. Probably most of you, maybe not all of you know that I play amateur pool and I'm in a league. Uh, So every week I go play and, and compete. And then I referee the uh, the world's largest pool tournaments in Vegas twice a year with fourteen thousand, fifteen thousand pool players. And uh, last night I was at my weekly league, and there was uh, one of the guys that I was playing against made a comment. There's a lot of double entendres in pool. <laughs> There's a lot of terminology in pool that uh, in shots and misses and everything else that can easily become a very sexual connotation. And so he made a comment about a shot. And my first thought was, that's a double entendre, and I could really have some fun with that one. But then my second thought was, but I'm in mixed company. I don't know these ladies very well. And that would not be an appropriate joke, right? Or comment. Only because, and this is not about me, only because I'm aware enough about those subtleties on those small boundary crossings. But for the most part, most of the guys that I play pool with are completely unaware and they make all kinds of sexual innuendos when they're playing pool. And they uh, just expect that the ladies are all okay with it. And I have yet to hear any one of the ladies ever speak up and say, you know, I, that was rude or that was crude, or I don't appreciate that. Right.
1: Did you speak
0: up? Uh, no, I didn't. I just kind of kept my mouth shut and shot my next shot.
1: <laughs> so by keeping your mouth shut, you also allow it to continue?
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point.
1: Do you have more power? Although,
0: although, although let me, not to defend my, my position, it was a double entendre in my head. I'm yeah. not sure that he said it with that intention. Because it was literally just a, co- a couple terminology yeah. situations, right? Now, if I had have said something then it would have been inappropriate, if he would have turned it into a sexual comment, I don't know that I would have acted, but I think I would have been wrong not to say something mm-hmm. at that point. Say, hey, dude, mixed company here, man. Give us a break.
1: Yeah. Right. If you don't speak up, you allow it to happen. And a lot of it is like, oh, you walk like a girl or you kayak like a girl. And it's like, yes, and I'm proud of it. You know, don't say it negatively. That's a good thing. Right. So, yeah, it's that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I've told you about my, my grandfather. He's, he was a horrible man, very bigoted, very just terrible. We And my dad grew up in that household. And then when I was a kid, my we would grow up listening to all kinds of racial jokes, especially Polish jokes. My, my grandfather was the master of Polish jokes. And we always thought it was funny. But, you know, my dad, I told you the story. My dad eventually, you know, was you know, called out on it. And then he went to a Dale Carnegie school, learned about people, behaviors. And, you know, and so, and they changed dramatically. Just very transformational person. Today, he's like, everybody loves my dad. He never goes down that path. His brain was cleansed from all the crap he grew up with. And then just a couple of weeks ago, he's now 84 and his mental faculties aren't all there. You know, he's not slipping into dementia, but it's just he's old, older. And um, he came over and he was playing ping pong which my girlfriend and I are very competitive ping pong players. And so my dad loves ping pong, but in his youth, he was really competitive. And now he thinks he's still young. So he came over and and he made a comment. He goes, oh, I'd hate to be beaten by a woman. I was like, dad, 40 years of being really, really good. And then you slipped back into your childhood. What's up? And he was just unaware. He just, it was just one of those like mental slips because I think his age and not, you know, just not being in mindful in the moment, right? Um, but it came out, you know, so sometimes I think, you know, our people's behaviors are just because they're unaware. And then, the, you know, sometimes they actually become malicious or they have a, uh, an ill intent. Um, and we just have to watch for that. But I, you know, Vera, to your point, whether they're malicious or whether they're just unaware, it's about your boundaries, right? It's about speaking up and don't let those little, those little subtleties mount up because what that does for you is not healthy. And really when it's all said and done, we want to protect our own mental, emotional, and physical health. Would you agree with that statement?
1: Oh, absolutely. I've been on, I call it, I am on an anti enabling train in the last couple of years because I've enabled so many people and things. And I just got to that point where it just, it exploded and I had to learn from that. So I kind of have a, an extra sense for when enabling is going on and I stop it right at the beginning.
0: Nice. It's easier for some temperaments to stand up and keep the boundaries secure. Other temperaments, it's like, remember the peacemakers? Peacemakers, stabilizers, connectors. I mean, you you have more of a struggle because you just want to keep peace. You want to keep harmony and not ruffle anybody's feathers and So some, you know, depending on your temperament, it's going to be harder for some than others. Competitors, you're probably just going to put the boundary out there, say it the way it is, not worry about hurting other people's feelings. That's the opposite extreme.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: So you got to watch that too. You know, we competitors have to be careful and we have to be very selective in how we approach and how we, you know, maintain our boundaries. That in itself
2: is so flipping hard. Kevin, as, as, as a, a, oh, I, I fall in a bunch of different categories depending on different scenarios, but I can all pull it back. That competitor runs strong. The problem I have within that is as soon as, and this is a, a newly neurodivergent individual, right? I've learned a lot in the last six months about myself, about what I've done in the last 30 some odd years. As soon as I start to change or I start to realize or I start to understand that my environment does not necessarily fit the energy I'm bringing into it, I begin to mask and I begin to change who I am to the environment that I'm in in a rather unhealthy way, right? I'm trying to fit in. I'm trying to be like the others where I struggle now knowing what I did then, what was right, what was wrong, what was perceived right, what was perceived wrong, how I interpreted all of these things moving around me to I now I don't apologize. I've said what I've said. and I didn't meant what I said. Could I have said it differently? Could I have responded differently? Absolutely. And I am open to your feedback. You didn't like what I said and I crossed your boundary. Great. I want to have that conversation. I'm excited for that conversation. Because I get to learn something about you. Because now I know where that boundary is, and I did not mean to not only push the gate open, but I did not mean to march up to your front door and crash the front door as well. I didn't intend it, but I did it because I didn't necessarily know, or I didn't respect the environment I was in, or the the other extreme, I was trying too hard to be in the environment that I actually lost a little bit of what I really was on the inside because I'm fitting. The standard that's around me. And so I play this like weird mix of emotions, fly all over the place, do a bunch of crazy things. And then I have to spend the rest of my day going, Oh boy, I did do that. And I, I don't go in and apologize. I, I go on the front of, I understood what I said was inappropriate. I understood what I understand now, how or why you felt the way you did. When you're ready to further this conversation, I'm willing to have it with you. But until then, I understand what I did. And if there is any discourse or anything between the two of us, I respect that space because I have to work on me all the time and I have to match my environments, and I have to watch which mask I'm wearing. So when you said like, yeah, you kind of in the competitor world, it is a game and it is hard. And if we make it a game, it makes it really, really easy. But I get lost in the game of, of everybody else in the room. And I'm not trying to one up. I'm not trying to own. I'm not trying to, you know, take control of the space. I'm trying to match what the space is giving me. We call that adapting, right?
0: So just, you learn to adapt to the environment, to, the, to, to adapt to other people's temperaments and style, uh, but it doesn't mean giving up who you are. It just means understanding who you are and understanding who they are and that you can adapt to that style. As a competitor, I could say, I didn't appreciate what you just said. And I don't ever want to hear that again. That's probably what a competitor would say. <laughs> Thank you. That's what I—that's what I've been guilty of doing, right? You know, a more effective way would be—you know—when you said that, I felt kind of awful, and I'm wondering if there's a better way to approach that subject, or if there—if or, or there's a better way to say that. But I just wanted you to know that I didn't feel good about that. Can I—can I get some input from you on that? Right? It's. A little less defensive, you know, it's, it's more like, it's all about me and how I felt not that you did this, you got to change you, 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 it's more yeah. all just me, me, me.
3: I was just going to say, um, when it comes to this, and this is really kind of interesting because I'm a peacemaker and I was brought up, my parent, my mom is an extreme competitor, extreme to the point where boundaries. Yeah. No, I was just an extension of her in her opinion. So, I always wondered. Like, since doing this, I'm wondering. You know, would I have been a peacemaker had I had a different upbringing or a different experience with with her? Because I'm wondering, why am I so wishy washy or something on when it comes to boundaries? Um, Are you an empath, Shannon? Do you yeah. Classify. Well, identify. Sure. Uh, I find it really easy. People tell me things that they never tell anyone else. I understand where people are at. Yeah,
2: there's two schools of thought in in the empath world, and one of them is childhood trauma, right? Okay. So, so as, as through childhood trauma, we recognize—I say we because I'm an empath—we recognize the dragon in the room, and we do everything we can to keep the dragon in the box, right? Mm-hmm. So that that people pleasing tendency gets real strong, or the peacemaker, right? That's that's exactly where that that's going to live. However, there's also the other school of thought in the empath world that it's not necessarily linked direct to childhood trauma. It's the ability just to feel, read, and understand and interpret the environment and the individuals in it without actually knowing all the individuals in it. Both have the exact same story. They just come from different spaces. Mm -hmm. And and I hear yours and I respect it. And I'm familiar with it. It wasn't my mom, but we could probably talk very similar stories. I am certain.
3: Yeah, no, I'm just curious about like, if, would I have been such a peacemaker?
2: Would I have been such a people pleaser? I, no. I think, no, I don't Shannon, think I would have.
3: I, I would say you might not have come up on the blind spot scale as a peacemaker because I, it, what everything you're saying hits me really deeply. Right? I totally resonate with it. My style is controller. Okay. It doesn't mean that all of those things don't run really deep in me, but my style was controller.
0: I think to some degree, we're hardwired. Uh, The use of the word hardwired is scary because it means that we don't change. We can change. But in the sense that we've got a genetic predisposition uh, to certain temperaments, but it's also very heavily influenced by our upbringing, by what we call our worldview, uh, which is everything that impacts who you are and continues to impact who you're becoming. So your upbringing, your traumas, your successes, your, your socioeconomic background, your familial background, all of these different factors, media, all of it influences who you're becoming and, and influences and impacts the, our temperament, uh, moods, you know, it's like, uh, you know, our emotions and feelings. And the more of those emotions and feelings that, that you know, start shaping our moods and those moods start shaping our temperament so a lot of it goes into it's it's a uh, it's very complicated science human behavior but fortunately there's enough data now that we can you know sort of put people into general categories but that's not again it's not a labeling it's more just you know when you're left unaware this is probably where you tend to go um, most of the time we learn to be uh, more aware and we start practicing and we learn to adapt to different situations that, yeah, you might not have been scored high on a peacemaker had you been in a different environment growing up, very possible. Don't look at that as a, as a, as a negative look at that as, okay, what are my great strengths? Because I'm a peacemaker. And realize that every great strength that we all have just simply can easily become a potential blind spot as well. We just have yeah. to be cognizant of that. Thank you for listening to the Awareness Advantage podcast brought to you weekly by the leadership team at Blind Spots Global, a multinational, multicultural leadership development organization specializing in transforming managers who are good at getting stuff done into great leaders who can influence and inspire others to achieve their best. If you have not yet subscribed, please do so now so you will never miss an episode. If you would like to join our live virtual studio audience and participate in the conversations, visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. We hope to see you there.